Hello everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of You Have to Watch This, a podcast where my co-hosts, Clayton Terry and myself, Ted Ryan, discuss our favorite movies, and each week we pick a different genre to suggest movies to each other with. Last week we had a really great conversation on experimental films, a conversation that was so much fun, in fact, that we did it twice. Uh, yeah, we did, because the first recording <laughs> shit the bed, say the least. Yes, but we're back. Fingers crossed. This is going to work. But tell me, what movies did we have each other watch for this week? Yeah, so this week we're looking at movies that are magical. They capture a certain level of mysticism that may be difficult to explain, but movies that when we each watch them, we found a certain otherworldly magic to them so the movie i recommended you watch was 2016 damien chazelle's la la land i had you watch 2019's joe talbot's last black man in san francisco awesome so are we gonna flip the coin to see who goes first it's been a while also since it's been just you and me we had a guest on for a little while yes and i think it's also been a while since we've had a classic coin flip We've been doing dice rolls or just pre-made orders. So (laughs) we're going back to the authentic experience with an American Liberty dollar in my hands. Oh, is that a Liberty dollar and not a quarter? Caught caught it. (laughs) We didn't even say who was heads or tails. Well, tails is always Ted, so. All right, heads. heads. Um, hmm. This is hard because I'm excited to talk about both of these movies and when I feel that way, I default to saying, let's talk about them in the order we watched them. So that would bring us to Last Black Man first. Ted, why don't you tell me a little bit about this beautiful movie that you had uh, us watch? Yes. So this film came out last year, 2019, um, to kind of a small, limited theatrical run. And I think there was some buzz around the time, but I think this is a film that flew under a lot of people's radars, including myself. Mm -hmm. I watched it based on a recommendation from Ryan Johnson. Um, He was on the IMDb IMDb TV talk show, and he said that he had been obsessively watching it. And this was like a week after we had seen Knives Out. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I wonder what this movie is. And I was blown away. This film is... Like we said, magical. This is the story of a young man who searches for a home in a city that seems to have left him behind. It stars, it has two leads. Uh, the character of Jimmy Falls, the main character, is played by Jimmy Falls. And Jonathan Major plays his best friend, Montgomery Allen. And the two of them are basically on this quest in like a very classical romantic sense of the word of trying to get back jimmy's 
house that belonged to his grandfather when he was really young. Uh, and he has so much importance and value that he places on this house. It's like a singular mission in life to get this house back. And through this film, it explores their friendship, tons of themes that not sure exactly how we should tear apart. It's got great performances. It's beautifully shot. I love this film. Clayton, what did you think of Last Black Man in San Francisco? I really enjoyed this movie. It felt like I had heard about it and a lot of people were talking about maybe getting a writing credit, which after having seen it, um, I would say it deserved in terms of the Oscars. And it was one of those movies where it's like, oh, it didn't get nominated for Oscars. It's now fallen off my radar. So I'm really grateful that you actually had us watch it for this podcast because I think otherwise it would have been one of those movies where it's like, oh, if I don't catch it during Oscar season, I'm just, I'm not going to watch it because there are so many great movies. Mm -hmm. I I resonated with a lot of what this movie was doing. Um, We'll definitely get into that in spoilers because like you said, not a lot of people have seen this movie. So I want to have a semi-detailed non-spoiler section definitely i agree they just from the get-go you immediately fall in love with the beautiful colors and vibrant backgrounds that this film offers up often of the city but not ever leaning on the default image of the golden gate bridge you know it's (laughs) it has more to say than just that um even though it has san francisco in the title it's very down in the streets you know at the kind of mundane level and paints the mundane life of these streets in such a beautiful breathtaking way with you know like shots that seem like miles away you know or Mm -hmm. you know shots that are very low to the ground but looking up at these beautiful buildings it it's a feast for the eyes yeah definitely um you have the characters explicitly talking about how they love the city but you also have the filmmaking implicitly sharing the love of the city you know what i mean like it's capturing what san francisco residents love about san francisco not what we imagine san francisco to be and it's great because that's a city you don't necessarily see that treatment you don't necessarily see getting that treatment very often like that's a very new york thing or like an LA thing, as we'll talk about later. Um, <laughs> but it just love and magic, fittingly, just kind of breeze through this film. And I think one of the kind of magical qualities to the film is the way the story starts. Mm-hmm. We kind of open on to like a, a young girl looking up at a man in a hazmat suit who's kind of clearing up this beachhead, this street. And then we continue moving and we find kind of like a soapbox preacher kind of venting and ranting about this these mysterious hazmatted men. And then we meet our two main characters and we're not told everything at once. You know, no. we, we have to kind of piece it together. And this, the way the film kind of delivers information is really exciting and engrossing because it feels very personal if there is any exposition in the film it all feels very organically coming from the characters and their day-to-day lives you know i never felt like i was being spoon-fed anything and this is aided by just like some of my 
favorite dialogue ever. Just the way there's so much charisma and chemistry between all the characters in the film and Mm -hmm. everyone's relationships are like so dynamic and fun to watch. It's, I feel like the film immediately captured my attention the first time around, but I was like even more immersed the second time around Mm -hmm. with the added backstory and all that. Because it feels like it starts off kind of a fourth of the way through the story already. Jim is already not living at the house we see him painting. So when he shows up there and he's doing yard work and stuff and his friends uh, illustrating him in the house and the people who actually live there come out and start throwing food at him, it's like immediately jarring. And I appreciate that because when a film is like, we're not going to tell you every piece that you're going to need to understand these characters, I feel like it pulls you in more, like you're saying. Um, So if you weren't pulled in by the just gorgeous cinematography and direction of it, then the what the characters are holding back kind of pulls you in as well. And I feel like the film knows exactly when and where to pull on what thread to bring out more and more layers of every character. Mm -hmm. So it's like with every scene, it feels like, they get more and more developed and realized like in a very, I don't want to say like a magic trick, but like a very like clever way, you know, like a very like effortless way. Definitely. I think we're going to go into spoilers now because there is so much to discuss with this film, but the, all the aspects of it that I truly, truly love and connected with are in spoiler territory so if you skip forward check out this movie it's really fun really excellent really moving it's on amazon prime right now correct as of april 2020 it is on amazon prime so check it out awesome so now that we're in the spoiler section i'd love ted if you could go into maybe some of the spoiler aspects of this movie Um, in terms of plot detail and why those elements and themes spoke to you. So throughout the course of the film, we have several ongoing kind of interconnected plot threads. And the primary one being Jimmy's search for this home in trying to acquire his, his basically ancestral home back from the force of gentrification it's, it's been his lifelong ambition. And then suddenly the people that are currently living within it move away. And they, the two characters, find themselves moving into the house and repairing it and living in it as if it was their own. And we finally see this lifelong happiness and longing fulfilled. And Jimmy is just beaming. And it's, you know, he's content you know we've before this it always seems like that character was restless in every scene you know and kind of not disillusioned but maybe somewhat apathetic to his station but now that he has his house again in his life he can live his life to the fullest and he does and we see that change in his character like in those scenes and how he talks with his friends and family And at a pivotal point in the movie, his best friend Mont reveals to him during a stage play 
that the house is not his and that it was never built by his grandfather and that it was never his family's house. It was a lie told to him by his father and his worldview is shattered. He basically has to reconcile the fact that he's been living a lie his whole life about what this house means to him and how that relates to his self-worth and self-importance. And in the end, he decides to literally sail for better shores. He leaves his life behind off for a future. He's left the past. He's now in the present and looking for the future now. And I think the reason why this story resonated with me so much is that in the past year, I've lived in four places and that has kind of created a feeling of emotional homelessness within me, within me. And sometimes you come across a movie or an album that it's just, you needed to hear it at that point in life. It's yeah. like you needed a piece of wisdom. And this movie was that for me mm -hmm. where home is not where you put your bed down. Home is not, you know, Home is not home is not the past, it's the future. It's like something internal almost. Right. And you can't have other people tell you where your home is mm -hmm. and you can't live that life. You have to decide for yourself. And I was like an emotional wreck after watching this movie the first time, but upon a rewatch, it was like a great lift me up like a great a great healing feeling within me that makes sense yeah definitely like a cathartic experience um i think we'll find actually that we both kind of had that with both of our movies this week um but i think i definitely resonate with what you're talking about and i like the juxtaposition between the two characters Namely, you have Montgomery, who is hanging out at the pier where the like toxic water is, where these like fish with three eyes keep getting pulled <laughs> up, while Jim is living in this fantasy that he's creating. And I feel like that kind of symbolizes that Montgomery, from the beginning, accepts what the city is, like warts and all, but Jim doesn't he clings on to these items and this physical house because he's clinging on to a past that he never got and a future that at first when he loses the house thinks he'll never get because of gentrification and other outsized factors but then once he kind of realizes what we just talked about of like home is in this within the self i think he chooses to leave the city and create his own truth again wading through the warts of the city the toxic sludge that is the river in this movie um and i think that brought out the themes even more for me and like is what i resonated with most the juxtaposition between how these two characters look at this place that they equally love and what i love about montgomery as a character is that we do see that juxtaposition between the two but he has so much empathy 
for his best friend, that he will go to any lengths to help his friend live that fantasy, live that dream, mm-hmm. and at, like will sacrifice everything so that his friend can have happiness. You know, like mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what to say about Montgomery, but wonderfully written character mm-hmm. and really beautiful sensitive portrayal by jonathan major yeah definitely um i always say that more movies need to be about like platonic friendships and like sibling relationships because movies that touch on those often like hit me the hardest because i think both of those kind of relationships mean a lot to me and i don't access that part of my heart through media very often because no one's singing about their best friend or making a movie about (laughs) their little brother but those relationships can be just as important as the romantic ones that litter our movies nowadays and in the past like always movies have uh leaned more towards the romantic over the platonic so it was really great to see montgomery and uh jim in this relationship in this movie there is a funny moment within the film where the two of them are making eggs and having dinner and they look over into the neighboring window and they see a uh, straight couple basically in the same exact poses as they are. And <laughs> they share kind of a funny look and I really appreciate that they don't like they acknowledge their relationship mm-hmm. in that manner. Like there is an element of that, but they don't, it, it doesn't become overt in a good way, you know, like they, yeah. It's um, it's just a funny, funny thing that I haven't seen in a film before. Mm-hmm. Subtle acknowledgement. <laughs> right. I also um, was very much reminded of Lady Bird watching this movie, which uh, fortunately and unfortunately you haven't seen yet because I love that movie a lot and I'm mm. excited to watch if, it with you. If only there were a, a podcast. Yes. Ooh. Ideas. We should start a podcast where we, we recommend movies to each other. What are we doing right now? <laughs> we should be starting a podcast. All right, see you guys. We're going to go make a podcast. <laughs> um, Lady Bird has a similar theme of you can't truly recognize the flaws of a place until you truly love it. I think the quote in this movie is, you don't get to hate it unless you love it, with it being San Francisco. And I really appreciate that as I've moved away from my hometown um, and I'm able to look back and kind of miss it. I'm grateful to be able to miss my hometown. Uh, To paraphrase something one of my friends told me once, I think having that awareness of your hometown means you've been paying attention and means you do love it if you're aware of everything that is wrong with it in a way. And Jim knows that intimately, who's someone within his whole within this whole film and before it has just had things taken from him by the city he loves and i think that extends to that quote he gives of you know in order for you to hate something you need to love it i think that extends to his familial relationships as well where yeah there is some falling out between him and his father and he hasn't seen his mother in so long. And so when they bump bump into each other, it's kind of an awkward, tense moment. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, I love the film's restraint in some areas, but it's like there are some mysteries that I love to hear more about, you know? I, I love these characters and I wish we had more of them, but this story is so perfectly told. I don't know if I do want to see any more. Mm -hmm. This is not really a deep point, but I just love all the scenes where Jimmy is skateboarding and <laughs> yeah. there is the, uh, the kind of tracking camera. There's one shot in the film that I feel like is one that I'll like never forget. And it's when Jimmy is riding a skateboard down a, a hill and he kind of crashes out and I don't know like that that scene with the music overlaid on top of it and like no other sound it's just like similar it gives me that same feeling I got when we watched Harakiri in the sword fight in the in the in the, in the tall grass it's where you know just like there's something about some scenes that just hit that note where it just resonates on like a really deep emotional level for me. And I'm not exactly sure why. It's just beautiful filmmaking, powerful emotion, and just like perfection in what I'm seeing. It's just like, I love seeing films. I, I love seeing good movies. Uh, I you, That's weird. You're weird. <laughs> Do you Sorry. want me to cut that? <laughs> Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I totally agree. And I think there's something to the fact that you can't exactly articulate what it is about this specific imagery with this specific sound. I mean, what's the David Lynch quote, right? Like language kind of constrains thought. So, and expression, maybe we shouldn't attempt to put it in words. Just it's another entry in the fact that people should watch this movie because it's going to speak to you in ways that we couldn't speak to you. Exactly. And I think my final point um, just on this movie, it made me want to make stuff, you know? It's one of those movies that makes me love movies, <laughs> like you were saying. Just the craft of the screenwriting and then putting that distinguished script, doing it justice visually, I think was hard and they did it well um and it, the movie ended and i was like i should write um <laughs> i didn't because it's hard but this movie is definitely one that inspired me to make stuff and there aren't a lot of movies like that this is a movie movie that makes me want to be like a production designer or a prop master you know like mm -hmm. or a, a, like a scouting master you know where you find like locations to film because similarly like i just love what's on screen i wish i could participate in making something of this caliber mm -hmm. yeah and with that are we ready to move into la la land i think so tell me about la la land yes la la land oh how i love this movie so much as i mentioned um it came out at the end of 2016 it was directed by damien chazelle just a short plot summary uh, while navigating their careers in Los Angeles, a pianist and an actress, played by Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, respectively, fall in love while attempting to reconcile their aspirations for the future. Basically, dream versus love, but we'll talk about that. I love this movie. I saw it in a small little theater while I was on vacation in Cape Cod visiting my uncle with my family, and 
I was pretty confident I would like this movie because I came out of Whiplash, which was also directed by Damien Chazelle. And I was like, holy shit, movies can <laughs> do things I didn't even know they could do. Um, I'm so excited to have you watch Whiplash at some point because of this podcast. But sticking to his second movie, La La Land, <laughs> we watched this just like a week or so ago, about two weeks into the social distancing, quarantining thing that we're all doing now having and, a blast yeah just living our best lives <laughs> big smiles um and i think i could safely say me and ted and most of the people we talk to are floating somewhere between like vague melancholy and being just miserable <laughs> <laughs> right and this movie immediately made me feel better going through the um the people in the cars and then the music starts playing for the first song that i know pretty well because i listened to the soundtrack a lot after i saw this movie and i've seen the movie like two or three times <laughs> i immediately like my eyes started to well up <laughs> going from cold windy cloudy murky rochester to sunny california and like people like smiling yeah. it was like an alien planet like this is another world <laughs> in a good way like oh Mm -hmm. movie movie time yeah. you know it's like aren't movies great isn't los angeles great like <laughs> right. right away and there's nuance <laughs> that they get into in the beginning but or even within the song there's a level of nuance could you go explain okay we're already getting into this um yeah. so i think the movie is saying like oh to be an artist isn't it just amazing that we all ditched everyone and moved out here to follow our dreams but then you listen to the lyrics and they're selfish mia's friends say like oh we don't want to go to the party because there will be social climbers and then you hear mia and her friends talk and they're all social climbers they're all going right. to like meet a director to meet someone um a screenwriter someone who's going to take them in and the juxtaposition between the fantasy of los angeles and the harsh reality of los angeles is most articulated in my opinion in the shot where they just did the second song with mia and her roommates where they go to the party and there's like the sprite commercial basically <laughs> and the people jump off the balcony into the pool right. and the fireworks go off and then hard cut from fireworks to the no parking sign <laughs> and it's like yes you got to this magical uh this magical party that may or may not have actually happened in any way. And there are fireworks and there are people dancing, but there's no parking in LA. There's these problems that come <laughs> with the city and the people in it. Um, in that first song too, the lyrics are like, I was dating this sweet boy when I was 17 and we saw a movie and I was like, I need to be on that screen. So I ditched him. I came here and it was the best decision I ever made. And there's, a selfishness in that or like a self-awareness that I think constantly appears throughout the movie that I just starting to really pick up on. You know, it's interesting because I think in creative industries and especially in like show business, you kind of need a degree of selfishness, selfishness to get by. Yeah. You know, like it, it's really like, cutthroat and you're always just ready to be replaced so i don't know if it's you know 
there, I think there is a a percentage of their pie chart is selfishness, but uh, it's it's intertwined with ambition, you know, and like it's a yeah. it's a blurry line. You're right. I think ambition might be the better word for it. Um, I think there's levels of selfishness, but ambition is more prevalent. And if you pay close attention to the song in the beginning, it's already telling you where it falls on the argument between ambition towards dreams or love. You know what I mean? Like the movie already knows which path it's going to go down from the very beginning. And as I've seen the movie a few times and listened to the music, I just became more aware of that. And maybe it presented itself more as selfishness than it actually is. You know, it's funny you mentioned this because I think on my first run through, I've only seen the film once with you, but um, I didn't really pick up on that feeling of ambition versus love as a overall theme. I just saw it as more of an internal character strife between the two leads Mm -hmm. rather than a greater part of the movie. But it's definitely, I think I kind of need to rewatch this now with that nugget in my mind, Mm -hmm. that lens to see the the film through. Well, go more into what you thought uh, on this first viewing. Yeah. um, Overall, I enjoyed this film for the like couple days following watching it. There were a couple of songs stuck in my head. (laughs) <laughs> uh ryan gosling mumbling city of stars was the number one mm-hmm. as a whole wasn't crazy about ryan gosling singing didn't think it was that great okay i have arguments against that um but. i liked emma stone uh her acting and her singing i loved ryan gosling's acting some of the best wardrobe wardrobing oh. In a movie ever. They're love, so gorgeous. <laughs> love all the colors and just the subtleties of their outfits and like just how they, you know, sometimes just like, you know, the clothing makes the man. Like I felt, you know, they perfectly sold the emotions of the characters with every scene. You know, like the, the, the costuming always said so much, much like a, a stage play almost. Love the, the classic Hollywood feel and all the rebel without a call rebel without a cause callbacks and um yeah as a whole i i enjoyed this film and i really without getting into spoilers i really appreciated the ending the resolution to the plot i thought it was i really enjoyed that and it's kind of mature thoughtfulness Mm -hmm. yeah i a lot of people have made the argument of like they're not good at singing john legend should have been the male lead in this movie and first time i heard that i was like oh maybe but then rewatching it i was like john legend's great and i love him but he does not have the charisma ryan gosling has in this movie (laughs) and i also think the point is that they're not amazing singers they're not really dancers these are everyday people and that's playing into this juxtaposition between the dream of Hollywood and what they're actually observing, you know, like if Ryan Gosling's like, Oh, I just want to make a jazz club and why aren't I famous? But I have the best singing voice of anyone in this movie. It'd be like, okay, I'm watching a movie, but no, Ryan Gosling isn't a singer. He wasn't a pianist, but he learned how to play piano for this movie. I was going to say there are scenes of him playing the keys. And I was like, is that him? Is that like a, 
elaborate cutaway like that was impressive i don't think all of it's him but a lot of it's him i think all the shots with they either use like a hand model or him so all the shots with like his body he's playing which is pretty amazing there's some scenes that are shot like shoulder up and we don't see the keys and then there's some doors full body so Mm -hmm. we could see him playing Mm -hmm. so props to ryan gosling if you're listening (laughs) great job we love you um I, I just love the, both the characters so much. I, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when when Mia's like, oh, I should confess up that I don't like jazz. And he stops and he's like, what do you mean you like don't like jazz? And she's like, oh, it means when I listen to it, I don't like it. <laughs> um, or I don't enjoy myself or something. But then he goes and he explains why she should like jazz. And I feel like I've been both Sebastian and Mia uh, in that where I've been the one who's like arrogantly like, oh, I don't like this entire genre of something. And then someone's like, okay, you're wrong. And I know a lot about this. So I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Uh, It's often been you (laughs) um, in that. Maybe. (laughs) On the other side of correcting um, some of my worldviews. But I've also been the person on the other side when they're like, oh, rap is just about drugs and women. I'm like, okay, that's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I find that relatability throughout everything the characters do. I think going into this film, I was prepared to kind of like turn my nose at it as if it was like a <laughs> bougie kind of a declaration of love of Hollywood industry. But I really appreciated how real it was and how it showed the struggles of that life and that career and the difficulty of, you know, balancing love and ambition and that kind of struggle. I, I, I really love that portrayal and how down to earth these characters were, you yeah. know, even when Mia makes it, I don't really feel like she's still the same character or I still feel as if she's the same character Mm -hmm. that we started the film with. She's just is more successful, but that hasn't changed who she is. Yeah. She's just grown up a little bit. Like the success hasn't really gotten to her. Um, Maybe that's a good point to move into spoilers because that's a little bit of a spoiler. (laughs) I just realized. Um, So the movie kind of ends by coming down for the track of ambition and following your dreams over staying with the person you love kind of that internal satisfaction over romantic satisfaction. Ted, you mentioned that you really appreciated the ending. I was curious, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, essentially the climax of the film is Mia's audition for this unique role that's going to be filming in Paris. And in the aftermath of that, the two leads basically have a conversation that we're always gonna love each other but we're destined for different paths and that's okay and it wasn't a tearful heartbreaking breakup it was just a mutual understanding and they just had to go different ways and eventually their paths do cross again and they share this beautiful dream of what their lives could have been like if they had stuck together and just you know dealt with the, the difficulties of that life, but it ends with them sharing a smile and a, and a head nod and no hard feelings and just 
a reaffirmation of the love that they have for each other. And I really love that. And I think that's really a really beautiful thing to see. Because I think whenever we're watching something, we want something to be dramatic, you know. And I think when writing relationships, it's easier to make that toxic to make that dramatic. Mm -hmm. And it's it was refreshing to see the opposite. It reminds me of a scene in Master of None that does a similar thing where the main character bumps into his old girlfriend that was the love interest for most of the show and then left. And it's it's just a really beautiful little moment. It's, you know, similar to the classic Casablanca ending where Rick goes off to fight the Germans in France. You know, it's like, ah. Oh, if only they got together, but this isn't Hollywood. It's real life. Yeah. Which is so interesting because the vision they have is Hollywood. You know, that's the... Um, it's a stage play. It's a... Yeah. It's, it's, it's a theatrical performance of love. And it ends with the truth of love. You know, it's, love is just a smile. It's not a musical you said this when we finished watching and I really liked it. So I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> they make each other better They're They start as like the inverse of each other where Sebastian is way too prideful in what he does. He's patronizing and Mia is not nearly prideful enough. She's not, she doesn't have confidence and the belief in herself and they bring each other back to a norm. Like she pulls Ryan Gosling down to earth and he lifts her into the stars, literally, in one of the scenes <laughs> of the movie. And I really like that. I like how they both grow. They both have arcs. But those arcs, and they end in a happy place, those arcs, but they don't end up together. It's funny how both of the films we spoke about this week investigate those feelings of home and how it relates to love and self-worth. And it's almost interesting because Mia, or it is interesting that Mia kind of goes on a similar journey to Jimmy in that they've both been longing for this mythic place in their minds mm -hmm. of that's where they'll be content. And Mia finds that in Paris by leaving the mythic place and Jimmy in leaving the kind of the platonic cave of his childhood home, you know, like... They leave these places that have essentially tied them down to their dreams and they embrace their realities by leaving it. Yeah, I really like that. That's I didn't see that connection necessarily, but on paper, those would be unhappy endings, like having to leave your home or making that the right call. But they're, they're happy endings because of the characters and what those characters have been through. And also going back to Mia and her arc, and because you were so open with um, kind of how Last Black Man in San Francisco spoke to you, I found that the scene where Mia does the audition that eventually lands her the job in Paris, I found that I read that very differently between now and when I first saw this movie in 2016 and then rewatched in like early 2017. Back then, I feel like my view of my potential career looked a lot different um I made it into a school I was incredibly happy with 
first semester, none of my classes were particularly difficult. I GPA wise, I blew it out of the water and I felt like I got this, you know, I felt like, I felt like Mia and Sebastian at the beginning of this movie, you know, um, living in this fantasy almost. And now four years later, I watch it and I feel, I identify more with how trapped the characters feel in kind of the second act um, with these four years of engineering background. I still don't feel like I'm particularly good at it. Um, I don't think I'm any better than I was <laughs> in 2016, which isn't how college is supposed to work. Um, so, and I feel like I haven't spent this time doing something I might be more naturally inclined at or enjoy more like writing. So I'm not educated in that way. So I'm, I feel like I'm stuck between something I'm naturally not good at, but I've been trained to do and something I may naturally prefer, but have no experience doing. And I feel more like Mia in that audition or right before the audition when Sebastian's trying to convince her to go to it than I feel like I am to me at the beginning of this movie when the whole world seemed open to her because she was living in a Sprite commercial with fireworks and whatever. And I think it kind of, in a more depressing way, it speaks to how movies can sometimes hit you in the right moment and then they come back and kind of hit you again in a different way. That was why I was very <laughs> emotionally distraught when we were watching that scene together because um, it spoke to me in a very different, more profound way, The watching it now in 2020. Thank you for being able to open up to not only me and to our audience about this, those feelings that you had whilst watching this. I think this is one of the, like, these two films and this conversation that we've been having right now is like the real heart of why I love this podcast is that we get to explore and share what what ingredients of a film hit us hard and what resonates with us and being able to have a platform for these feelings. Yeah, I mean, thank you for being so vulnerable and talking about like emotional homelessness um, to making it feel like I can be vulnerable and talking about imposter syndrome, you know, because I think we both love movies because they make us laugh and they give us beautiful things to look at, but they also get to things deep within us and make us realize things about ourselves um, that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise without like the aid of art so i'm really grateful that i get to share them with you and document them for other people <laughs> for our future selves um yeah i think it's important i'm grateful we've grown this podcast and ourselves to be this vulnerable i guess yeah definitely so 
you have to watch this. Great <laughs> movies. Check them out. To bring it back up, oh. I have a crazy, crazy link between these movies. Okay. I'm dying to hear it because you told me this. We were driving <laughs> somewhere and you're like, I got a fun fact that's going to blow your is that, mind. Is that how I sound? You, like conniving? You, you, yeah, be like, whoa. So blow me away, Clayton. Well, you are going to be like, whoa, because Finn Whitrock. Are you familiar with him? He's the like smarmy guy in every movie he's ever been in. So he's Greg in La La Land. He's who's Mia. Gre- who's Greg? <laughs> I was about to tell you. <laughs> he's Mia's boyfriend in the beginning where he shows up and he's like, sup, babe. <laughs> okay. Do you, we were going to dinner with my brother and she's like, oh, I'm in love with Ryan Gosling. Actually, that's um, spoilers, I guess. Um He's, he's in American Horror Story. I don't know if you're familiar. You'd recognize his face. I watched like three episodes of American Horror Story and dropped it. But you definitely actually know him because he's in a movie you've seen. And that movie's called Last Black Man in San Francisco, where he plays the lawyer that kicks them out. And do you know his name in the movie? Do you know his name? Clayton. I knew that. <laughs> he introduces himself as Clayton within the movie. Cut all this. We're going to cut all this. How embarrassing. You got egg on your face. You. It's the last note in my notes section, and it has a space in between the notes to show how profound it is. Dang. Thank you for listening <laughs> to our podcast, where we talk about all things important regarding ourselves and film and people who share the same name as us and people that share the same name as us ted this is the last podcast i will be on (laughs) so what movie genre are you going to be talking about next week alone (laughs) the movie genre that i will be talking about is movies where the setting is a character unto itself movies where the setting is so vital to the overall construction and the world that the story takes place in that it is inseparable from the story itself. And, Clayton, the film that I am going to have you watch is going to be the French animated film Fantastic Planet. That's so funny because today Ryan watched it and I saw on Letterboxd and I was like, I have to watch this movie. It's short. It seems very weird. I'm so excited. I watched this, I want to say, late November last year and... It's really interesting. So I'm dying to analyze it and discuss it. I am excited as well. And as I mentioned, I will be leaving this podcast after embarrassing myself. It's been fun. (laughs) But if I were to continue it. Which would be absurd. Absurd. That would just be. Ridiculous. If we do this whole bit and then I'm just, I do the intro next week, that would just be too much. That would be too much. But if I were to be on it. Theoretically. Why not recommend a movie? Where the setting is such an important character, it's in the title. What? And that's why you're going to be watching Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh! <laughs> I've been dying to watch this movie. We recently watched the Dar Darjing Dar. I pronounce it the Dar- Darling Limited, but I don't know if that's right. <laughs> One of his Darjeeling films. Limited. Loved it. Been waiting to watch The Grand Budapest Hotel. So thank you. Fantastic suggestion recommendation i'm excited (laughs) i love all of his movies but this is probably my favorite until the one with timothy chalamet comes out hopefully this year (laughs) fingers crossed the french dispatch um but yeah 
thank you so much, Ted, for doing this with me every time we do it, but especially this time. Yeah, it's awesome. I really enjoyed it. Uh, our intro song is... Jazz Nut by Soul Human. And is there any place people can find you online, Clayton? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mainly just do podcasts. I do this one. You have to watch this with Ted. I do stories we're sharing, which hopefully have some interviews coming. It's been a little hard because of like the world ending. <laughs> right. I I was planning on interviewing like two of my teachers, but yeah. it's up in the air now. Um, yeah. So hopefully that'll get up and running once the country's back up and running. Um, I also do the Terry Talks podcast which is me and my brothers talking about movies, not unlike this podcast. Ryan was on last week, so if you appreciated him and his film insights, check out Terry Talks Podcast. But I'm at Instagram at Clayton Terry, so all my stuff is there too. And you can find my stuff on Instagram as well, including the podcast art of what you're currently listening to, at Ted Ryan Art. There you can find artwork that I've been posting, uh, my posting is kind of slowed down a little bit, but it should be picking up soon. Um, you find my comic that I've been working on that's nearing completion and other things. It's pretty cool, I guess. Um, it's very cool. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Anchor for making this podcast possible. Bye.